Two seconds, one, go. Blog Talk Radio. to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am one of your hosts, John Robb, of course, here with our fabulous second host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing great. Happy uh, end of February. Happy end of February. Two months gone in this year. And what better way to spend it than with our good friend Brad Parks, who has a book coming out on March the 7th called Say Nothing. So we're excited to be able to talk about to talk to Brad about that. Want to also let you know that the newest issue of the magazine has been released today. So if you're a subscriber, you got it in your email. If you're not a subscriber, you didn't get it in your email. But you can always email us, and we'll send you out a copy so you can check us out and see what you think about it. Also, just to let you guys know, of course, all of our shows here are sponsored by Kensington Books. So make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on their authors and their releases and everything else. So you ready to hit it, Jeff, with uh, Mr. Parks? Yes, let's hit it out of the parks. Should we hit it? Oh, that was a good little pun. That was nice. All right. Well, hey, Brad, thank you so much okay. for joining you're, us, my you're man. Bringing me in, you're bringing me in as I'm groaning here. Eric, that was terrible. That was oh, just okay, hold the worst thing I've ever heard. Okay, I'm like, going to mute you. I'll, I'll mute you and we'll do it all over again. Okay. <laughs> But no, but then John, then John, you'd, you'd have to play that terrible intro music again. Did you guys rip that off from Harry Potter or something like that? No, like this, it's um, actually called what? Carnival. It's a thing. Hold on, I'll play it just for you. It's a thing. <laughs> it's a classical piece. It's like the beginning, uh-huh. and it's called like Carnival or Carnival or something. Um, we did have one guest that came on the show and was like, "Oh my God, I love that song." <laughs> I forget who it was, Jeff. Remember they said that? <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. Uh, it was. Brad won't believe it. Yeah, it was sounding like me to like. It was sounding like serious Harry Potter intro. Like I, I thought you, you guys owe J.K. Rowling like a royalty or something like that. Which, I mean, Lord knows she's she's destitute by now. Uh, hey, so I so will she pay J.K. Rowling a royalty if I can get her ass on our show to interview because I tweeted her like twenty five <laughs> times and she hasn't responded back yet. But I ain't gonna stop until I get a no. Absolutely. Keep keep, keep on pushing through. You know. So <laughs> so anyway, I've, I've been, taken Brad? it completely. I, I've been great. I, I'm sorry. I've already taken things completely off the rails, haven't I? This is just it. Well, thanks for doing the show. Talk to you later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, according to Jeff, I'm already off the rails, so you can only bring it back on. So Fair enough. No problem Fair enough. With that. <laughs> So no, actually, I, th- I think Jeff brought us completely down with that horrible, horrible pun on my name, and then um, uh, so I mean, really, John, like whatever we can salvage from this show from here on out is going to be a victory after what Jeff has done to us. That's what it comes. Uh, I appreciate to. that. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, someone rescue us. Go. Well, we'll talk about uh, your new book. Say nothing. Okay. Uh, so Say Nothing is uh, the story of Scott Sampson, who is a federal judge whose children have been kidnapped by someone who is looking to control the outcome of a case he is hearing. So the deal becomes, we'll return your children only when you give us the verdict we want. 
And he is told that he cannot go to the police. He cannot go to the FBI. He is to do nothing. He is to say nothing, which is where we get our title. Oh, for a second there, I was worried you were going to say nothing. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> that would have been appropriate. <laughs> um, having read the book and absolutely loved it, um, I do have to ask you, um, since your previous books have been sort of humorous mystery thrillers, right? Why the change from that to such a, you know, uh, to this? Yeah, you know, I I had been wanting to write a standalone for a while. Like I, I felt like it was the next step for me, creatively, personally, professionally. And, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I wanted it to be a more ambitious book. Uh, I mean, I, I've loved writing my Carter Ross series, those, those aforementioned somewhat humorous mysteries, uh, you know, but they were, they were limiting. There, there were only a certain universe of stories you could make happen to a newspaper reporter from New Jersey, as Carter is. And there was kind of a bigger universe of stories I wanted to explore. And I, I kind of came across this story. Um, it, you know, it, it just came out of a, a very simple place, uh, frankly, of sheer terror. I thought about, okay, what, what scares me more than anything as a father of two elementary school-aged children? Well, someone kidnapping them, and, you know, things kind of went from there. And it was a story, frankly, that just didn't have any room in it for humor. Uh, I mean, you know, the the first day of this book is like the worst day of this protagonist's life. And then every day of the book after that is also the worst day of his life. Uh, you know, there, there's really, there was no place in it for laughs. I mean, the, the guy can't laugh. He can barely breathe. His, his, kid, his children have been kidnapped. So, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, I, I have hopefully always been a a slave to the story more than anything and what this story demanded was complete seriousness uh you know there was just no room in it for yucks so that's the book i ended up writing how hard was it for you to write this being a parent yourself as you said it was a scary thought for you i think of kidnapping i think of college um how hard was that you know, it was it was brutal at times. I, I, I got to be honest. I mean, there there were days when uh, I mean, writing this book was like no other book I had written. I mean, the, you know, there, I, I think this, the story for me anyway, there always has to be some kind of personal connection to it or something that makes you want to to write it. Um, and, you know, and with my Carter Ross novels, there was always some experience I had had or some feeling I had that I, you know, that allowed me to connect with the story of the novel. But, but frankly, none of it was on the level uh, of this novel, um, you know, where it was, uh, uh, there were days when I came home from writing and I mean, I was just wasted. Uh, I mean, it was, it was really, truly a, a, an enervating experience. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was hard, and the, the editing of it was hard. Um, I, I, you know, there there were some scenes that I, I had to write almost from a different place. Uh, I, I'm not a particularly um, dark guy, you know. I'm, not, I, you know, I've, I've never been noir or anything like that. And, and certainly in in my everyday life, I'm I'm a pretty upbeat, peppy kind of person. And so, I mean, this really forced me to emotionally explore things that I am not all that comfortable with. Um, but I think in the end, hopefully, my suffering was worthwhile. <laughs> you know, because the uh, you know, I mean, I think there's there is that that 
it, it, it brings attention to the book and it brings a rawness to the book and it brings an emotionality to the book that, that really did lift the prose in a lot of places to, to being some of the best stuff I've ever written. No, no question. Are you guys there? Uh, John, Rob, uh, I just gave a beautiful answer and you weren't even listening. What, what, what kind of radio heard, show is this? Shit, I heard, he heard nothing, nothing, man. My whole internet went down. My phone went out. I got <laughs> fucking unplugged. I couldn't even get the goddamn phone. I'm calling for my cell phone now instead of I got my other thing. I don't know. Goddamn Time Warner bastards. I hope you're listening. If it wasn't for the Dodger Network, screw Time Warner. You sons of bitches are screwing me up. Okay, go ahead, Brad. What was your, what was your No, answer? no, it's okay. Jeff and I are just like, we're, we're weeping over here. We're crying. Like, I'm giving this, this emotionally wrenching Justin. answer. Like, I don't know if you if you were ever sports fans, but do you remember, like, the Roy Firestone interview, uh, like, yeah. at circa 1998? He always made his yeah. guests cry. Um, know. You know, yeah, I, we were in the midst of that. It was a beautiful moment, John, and you, was, oh. you have ruined it. You have Hold on, I'm destroyed. still weeping. Hang on here. Give me another <laughs> but, you know, but, hey, I can always, and just so everyone listens, just in case something happens and you get disconnected, you can't listen to your own goddamn show on the Internet, it's still available on demand. So you can subscribe <laughs> to it on iTunes and listen to the show that way. Oh, well, my. We didn't miss you, John, but uh, did you have a question for him? Well, I would have had a follow-up question if I would have heard the answer. So, so, uh, so Brad, tell us how this book differs from the rest of your books. <laughs> yeah, right. It's on the fly, baby. <laughs> it's it's not funny. <laughs> well, you know, beyond not being funny, I mean, the the uh, the, the protagonist is a federal judge, um, and that that was a very different character, uh, and, and and frankly, a lot of fun to explore. Uh, you, you know, judges are, I think mostly in crime fiction, you don't read a lot about the judge, right? The, the judge is the guy who at the very end of the book says guilty or he says not guilty. And then, you know, and then he disappears behind his robe and that's all you ever see of the judge. So I, I think one of the things that was just kind of fun for me to explore was what's what's really going on under the robe and what what is happening in those chambers. And, and it was also a bit of a, a challenge from a research standpoint, because, you know, it's not like federal judges are often writing tell-all memoirs and they are they are not doing at home with Mr. Judge or Mrs. Judge in the the local lifestyle magazine you know i mean they they tend to be uh, they very much keep to themselves. Their their only comment, for the most part, is no comment. You know, and even at times uh, like uh, we've had recently, when when judges, federal judges, have very much come in the crosshairs, they stay pretty taciturn. So uh, I really actually had to work pretty hard. I finally found a judge, and I can't say who it is because I promised the judge anonymity. But this person allowed me to follow him or her for a while, and and allowed me to kind of see what was going on. And I actually really ended up being very impressed by the federal judiciary as a whole, but but in particular by how much thought and how much caring the judge did put into his or her rulings, and uh, you, you know how how personal it really was. You, you, you'd think even something. I mean, one of the scenes early on in the book is a drug sentencing, and of course the federal courts are absolutely inundated with with drug cases. They are the number one cause of action in the federal federal judiciary, t- thanks to the war on drugs. And so you would think a, a drug sentencing would be just so routine. These guys wouldn't even glance at the defendant. But no, you know, in in every case, they they really got to know them. 
those defendants, and they they kind of assembled their whole life story, and they spent days thinking about what their sentence would be, and you know checking and rechecking it. You know there was there was a lot more caring and frankly a lot more work that went into it that I that I didn't even know about. And so while I wasn't going to get completely bogged down in 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 the details of procedure because we all know that's incredibly boring to read, um, nevertheless I kind of wanted to to represent some of that life and and at least give a, a little bit of peek into what it is to be a judge. So that was certainly something that was different, uh, that obviously I had never done in a book before. Could you talk a bit about uh, the judge's isolation as well? I mean, if you think about it, he didn't really have anybody he could rely on to help him out. Right. And that was that was a theme that really when I shadowed my judge really came to me. And and you wouldn't think it, right? Because here is... When you think about a federal judge, I mean, I have a line in there about how they're jokingly referred to as little Caesars because, you know, they they don't answer to – they don't really have a boss, right? They – they, you know, they and bad pizza. Uh, they don't really have a boss. They, uh, they, they don't truly answer to anyone. Yes, they can be reversed in some ways, but you know, for the most part, they kind of do their own thing. And I mean, I mean, literally, it takes an act of Congress to remove a federal judge from the bench. They are appointed for life. Uh, so you'd think they they just had carte blanche to do whatever they want. But, you know, in reality, what, what comes down to is each judge sort of ends up being in his or her, her own little bubble. And they issue these rulings, and then they kind of don't know what anybody really thinks about it. And they don't really know whether it's right or wrong, because for as much as you say, okay, this is a routine case, there's really no case that, that is ever completely, totally ordinary. And, and, and is, right. you know, I mean, okay, there, there are a few, okay, maybe oh, you, you feel you've seen this before, but so many of the, of, uh, of, of the cases are unique in one way or another where they feel like, gosh, what do I do here? And they, and they really have kind of no one to rely on. And yeah, they can talk to other judges for a little bit, but they, yeah, they issue these, these rulings in a vacuum. And, you know, my judge talked to me about like, it, it sort of like you were often, you know, either the analogy was a fishbowl or it's like you're on your own little island and you, and you don't really know what's going on outside your island. And so there, there was a great deal of sense of isolation, which then when you put on top of that, my fictional judge, Judge Scott Sampson, who has to, uh, who who is told he can't talk to anyone, he can't reach out to anyone. I, I think that that sense of isolation is is really one of the things that drives the novel. I would agree. Now I know that I know that when I was disconnected and I couldn't really hear, but I know you guys talked about, uh, you know, like kind of parenting and things like that about kind of the book. Jeff gave me like a little quick thing, but. When you're talking about such kind of like a deep, dark kind of parent's worst nightmare uh, kind of subject matter in this, how is it for you having to write it? Because since you are a parent and you have to kind of think in those ways, God, I hope that never happens to my family. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this is the part that had us both crying before. Um, you oh, know, where, where I okay. talked about it. Okay. So was... let's change the job. <laughs> it, was, it was really, it was actually, it was quite My show now, job. John. Shush. <laughs> Damn it. Catch it on the rerun. You'll hear the answer the first time. It was brilliant. It was great. I did, okay. I did wonderful. So, okay. Well then. Okay. Well then, then. Let me switch gears a little bit and and talk about, um, you know, the reasoning behind doing it this way instead of just it's, why using children instead of just using adults. Why go six years old? Why not go older? You know, because I, I think it really was uh, probably because I'm a parent of kids about that age. Um, and so that was the thing I could really access, and that was the thing that scared me the most, frankly. 
Um, and okay. I knew I could write that in a, in a, in a really real visceral way. Um, and, gotcha. and I know that's, that's hard. I mean, I, I certainly have heard from folks who say, look, I will not read a book about children in danger. I just won't do it. Um, but I think most readers are able to overcome that. Um, I mean, <laughs> certainly the entire YA genre is all about children in danger. So there are quite, obviously yeah. a lot of readers who can overcome it, but, um, you know, I mean, I, I think, think the really biggest was, thing, real quick, is I, I think the biggest thing is no graphic violence for children, no rape for children. But yeah, if there's yeah. some kind of peril, I, I'm okay with it as far as I'm concerned. And you know, I have, you know, and I have children. They're not that young anymore. My youngest is 20, but I've been there. So as long as there's no graphic violence, no graphic sexual stuff happening, I think I'm okay with them being a little bit of peril. Yeah, and that and that's what we have here. I mean, I I couldn't yeah. I I. I, I couldn't write a you scene with a six-year-old there. being yeah. tortured, no so um, I, and and wouldn't want to, and 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 nobody would want to read it. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think there's a there's a certain amount of uh, they can be in danger, uh, and they I mean they are in real danger in this book. There's no question about it. Um, but and, you keep and it you, very emotionally high-driven tension, which is what right. makes it very good. Right, That's and the, the things thing and anything that that may or may not happen to them is is all happening off the off the screen, as we say, um, and yeah. that's, that's yeah. important, too. Well, I, I have to ask the question that um, has to be asked here. I'm sorry. Uh-oh. Is this the elephant Are you going Coban on us? Are you going standalone now with an occasional Carter thrown in the future? You know, I don't know. I, I really, and so uh, you have to ask the question, and I have to dodge it, Jeff. <laughs> um, I, I, know my, uh, I, I know my next one is another standalone. Um, beyond that, I, I can't really say, uh, you, I mean, uh, to a certain extent, and, and I, I hate to be crassly commercial, but, you know, I also, I know who I'm writing this for. I, I, I'm writing this for readers. And, and so it, it will really largely be up to the readers, I think, and, you know, where if there is, uh, if there are a lot of folks out there who start clamoring and saying, we want another Carter Ross, well then, Hey, I'm happy to write another Carter Ross. I mean, I, I certainly I, I hope to return to him someday. Um, you know, it's not like I'm saying uh, I'm never writing another Carter. At the same time, I'm also not committing to oh, I'm going to do the standalone and then a Carter and then a standalone and then a Carter. Um, you know, I, I think that the best situation you can get yourself into as an author is where you really get to write whatever story it is that is most compelling to you at the moment and that you get to write it in the way you think is best. Uh, you know, and I think there are going to be some future stories. I mean, you know, in, in the whole world of fake news that is coming up, I, I've got to think that Carter Ross, a journalist, uh, you know, can, can find some, some room in there. And, and maybe that's the kind of story that, yeah, I tell through Carter's lens. Uh, but then there are other stories that will, again, not be a Carter Ross type story. Okay. Thanks I mean, so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, fake news. Basically, facts I don't agree with is, is all that that turns out to right. be. But, um, you know, basically when you're just sitting deciding because, you know, you have Carter Ross mystery series and now you have, the, you know, the say nothing here, the standalone. And when an author is just trying to tell stories, the one thing that I like and what you did do is you're trying to tell a story that you wanted to tell and you didn't try to pigeonhole it in your series because you had to write a series. And I like the fact that you said, I need to write this story without this character because it won't fit. Right, right. Um, You know, and and there was, you know, and I think it's also... And it's it's also challenging for you as an author to have to do that because you've been with Carter Ross so long. 
So I, what I found, actually, interestingly, there are challenges to write a standalone. There are also freedoms to write a standalone because, you know, there are times at Carter where it's like, okay, I've made a certain dramatic choice at some point in the series, and I am, for lack of a better way to put it, stuck with it, right? I can't, I can't go back and rewrite book four anymore because, uh, all right, I already made that happen, and I've and I got to live with that. You know, whereas in a standalone, it, it's, a, it's a complete blank slate. So that's the good news, and, of course, that's also the horrible news of it's a complete blank slate. Oh, my God. I have to invent all this stuff all over again. Um, so it's it's a combination. But I, I I certainly kind of enjoyed the the work that went into that. Um, I, I enjoyed writing something different. Um, and then I, I think hopefully someday I'm going to enjoy going back to Carter because, I mean, frankly, I, I miss him. I miss his world. Um, I, I miss hanging out with him. He's a good dude. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping we'll, uh, we'll find him on my laptop screen uh, uh, before too long. Nice. Hopefully he's doing stuff that's legal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what fun yeah, but if that? he doesn't, yeah. then that makes it that much more fun, though, right? Exactly. Oh, exactly. yeah, that, that's true, yeah. That's true. Um, one of the things I love about your writing, and don't get me wrong, I love Say Nothing. I absolutely love the book. But um, it's how you mix humor with the thrills. And right. I wanted to ask you about how you pace that out, thinking of the Carter Ross specifically. Yeah, right. Tough. You know, I, I always say that I, I like books to be like friends. And, and maybe because I was a dork growing up, books were my only friends at times. And, um, you know, so I, I like friends who can be serious sometimes and who can be funny sometimes and who can talk about the nature of the universe and then tell stupid camel jokes or something like that. Um, and, and so I think I, I kind of wanted to write a, a book that was like that. Um, that can be uh, uh, challenging. Actually, what, what's funny is I, I think it's it's more challenging for the publishing industry than it is for readers. Uh, I think you know yeah. most readers are are deft enough to do the code switching to say, okay, this is funny and this is a, an author you know stretching those chops a little bit, and then oh, this is serious and I can be serious now. I think the publishing companies get a little nervous, frankly, when when you go back and forth between the two, but. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm, I, I think it's, you know, especially in the Carter Ross series, there's a lot of gallows humor. And, and in, in those cases, it's appropriate to the world they're in. I mean, you, you can't be in a place like a newsroom or, you know, cops are the same or ER nurses are the same or, you know, these, these kind of high pressure, high stakes places where bad stuff is really happening and bad stuff is brought into the world every single day. And they deal with it through humor as a, as a kind of defense mechanism. I mean, it was, it was like clockwork at a newspaper. I mean, it was horrible to admit, but man, something dreadful would happen. And, and actually the rule was the further away the dreadful thing was, the quicker the joke was going down happen you know like if if, mm. if if the disaster is in bangladesh i'm sorry the joke is almost instantaneous um and and yeah. and that's and again cops are the same way and ambulance drivers are the same way and you know it's it's a way to to deal with the tension and i, and I guess i kind of wanted to always represent that part of the world excellent I, now, the one thing that I always like to find out from authors, because, of course, you know, you always have the main characters and, and this and that, but it's those secondary ones. It's those mm. ones that when you're writing that you kind of put in the back of your mind and then you kind of bring out and you're not really sure when you're going to bring them out and then you find the scene that you do. And then all of a sudden they start to take over and you're like, wow, right, I had no right. idea they were going to be that popular. Who was that for you in this book? So Jeff has read it, so he'll, he'll remember the character. Um, Senator Blake Franklin. 
I love ah. that character, Jeff. <laughs> um, he he was the protagonist's uh, former boss because the the protagonist used to be a, a Senate staffer, kind of a a policy wonk guy, uh, and then the senator became the guy who appointed him to the federal bench. So it's kind of a mentor kind of relationship, kind of a father figure, but now they're also kind of equals because hey, one is judiciary, the other is is legislative, and uh, you know a federal judge and a U.S. senator are oh, well maybe not quite completely equal. There are more judges than senators, but still, I mean, peers uh, in many ways. So I think it was it was a fascinating dynamic, and they, they had a lot of history together. And uh, and also Blake Franklin was a uh, was a guy that I, I just had. I, I, well, this is I think with most of the characters I write, I have their voice in my head, right? And Jeff, maybe this will maybe this pops you. Blake Franklin to me was vintage Fred Thompson Law and Order, right? Oh, so, which, I got that. And it never exactly. it never made a shred of sense to me, by the way, that, that Fred Thompson, this guy from Tennessee, was somehow a prosecutor in New York City. I never did understand why that worked. <laughs> but um but I could absolutely make him a senator who originally hailed from southwest Virginia. So he's right. this big colorful guy and he just tells these stories and he says, Son, I just don't know that dog is gonna hunt. You know, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. And he just every everything that kinda of came out of his mouth on page just like happened in that Fred Thompson voice. Uh and it ended up being a, a, a wonderful and and without giving anything away at the end, a, a kind of a very surprising relationship. And uh, I, I just uh, I, I very much enjoyed that character. Yeah, there there always seems to be John for me in every single book I yeah. write, a, a, that that one uh, prime a secondary character, if you will. I hate calling them secondary characters because, of course, the key to writing a a quote good secondary character is to realize that every character in the novel is the protagonist of their own story, right? True. Uh, and so don't don't treat them like <laughs> secondary characters. Treat them like characters who are running their lives, whose lives happen to intersect with your protagonist characters, but who still very much think of themselves as the hero of their own story. But in every book, I, I do seem to get a, a, a character like that who just kind of runs away with things yeah, a little bit. Yeah, there's always one. Yeah, and, and, and just, you know, becomes beloved. And, and that's, I mean, that, let's face it, that's, that's one of the joys as a reader, and it's one of the joys as a writer. I mean, when that, when that yeah. character, it, and it always seems to be, maybe the one you don't expect like in in the book that i have exactly. coming out in 2018 uh you know it ends up being this lawyer character who you know when i first brought him on the stage i just made him the most pathetic guy i could think of like i was actually you got you guys may know this about me i write in a hardy's restaurant right? i do yes yeah so really? i write in hardy's and there's all kinds of, of fascinating characters who come in yes, on a regular are. basis in a hardy's and I'm just writing along one day. I need a lawyer, and in limps this guy, who is just the sorriest looking sob you've ever seen. And I went, <laughs> okay, there's my lawyer, you know. And uh, uh, and he ended up being this marvelous character. So yeah, I, I love it when that happens. Awesome. Uh, so you and I um, cause havoc at Thriller Fest every year, specifically don't, working don't with start the telling stories about us, Jeff. I don't want them to know about us. <laughs> well, no, no, I, no, it's still a secret, Brad. It's okay. okay I've good, seen good. it, so I'm a witness to some of the shenanigans. But <laughs> my, my question to you, Brad, is um, how did you get your agent? Oh, um, so Late loop uh, question. Yeah, um, th th it was actually it's a thriller fest story. Um, 
I had been, uh, well, I mean, first of all, my current agent is not my first agent. It happens, you know. And um, yeah. I had been, I, I'd kind of run the string with my old agent where he had he had said to me, like, hey, look, I, I don't think I'm helping you very much anymore. And why don't you look for some new representation? And, of course, the moment your agent says that to you, you probably need to look for new representation. Um, so I had been kind of casting about, and, and I ended up talking to an editor at Thriller Fest um, who kind of gave me a list of names. Um, and one of the names was Alice Martell. And I didn't know Alice at that point, but um, I, I kind of looked up Alice Martell in Publishers Marketplace and saw that she represented William Landy. Um, and Bill, I don't know if you've hung out with him at Thriller Fest, but Bill wrote uh, Defending Jacob in, uh, I think, 2011, 2012, something like that. I mean, really, if you don't know Defending Jacob, go read it right now. It is truly one of the best crime novels of the century. There is no question about it. Uh, we can it argue might... about the ending later, but yes, okay. continue. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, to me, like, if, if I say what is the best legal thriller of of the 21st century, you know, I will I will put him oh. and 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 Harry uh, um, Mickey ha- Michael Connolly's Mickey Haller novels, oh, uh, and ma- yeah. and maybe and maybe one or two by Grisham. I you know I'll kind of put them side by side, and 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 actually I'll probably say Landy is is the best. But anyway, when I saw that uh, that Alice represented Bill, that I, you know I, I wrote to Bill, and Bill raved about her, and it kind of led to a, a really wonderful relationship. Um, she has, you know, her hands are kind of subtly all over Say Nothing, Jeff, to be quite honest, because she was, when you talk about humor in a novel, she was the one who kind of really helped me see, I, I think, because I naturally have this kind of light, breezy voice um, that she helped me see those places where light and breezy were just not appropriate. Um, and she also helped me see places where I needed to dig deeper into myself. I needed to dig deeper into the emotionality of it. Uh, I think I, I often comment a story from the standpoint of that that mystery thriller guy who wants to move the plot along, right? Because there's there's nothing worse than slow pacing in my mind. And and I think readers, modern day readers, are are as impatient as they have ever been. And so you've got to keep it, you know, a, a brisk pace going. But what I would often do is sacrifice for in the name of pacing i would not give the characters just that little half second they needed to take in what had just happened to them so i would you know my, my analogy is it's like i would i would make them get hit with a tsunami in one scene and then the next scene i would have them be perfectly dry and it's like no no, they've been hit by a tsunami. They're, you know, their their little fishing village has been wiped away. All their stuff is wet. They're drenched. They are not going to be sitting there high and dry in the next scene, just ready to move on with life. And you know, Alice kind of helped me see where I, I just needed to give them. And it was oftentimes no more than two or three paragraphs, just to 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 be able to go, wow, what just happened? Because the reader was going, wow, what just happened? And it, the funny thing is it, it led to some of my favorite lines in the book. Um, like, and I, and I, can't, I can't quote it exactly, but I, I, 
can remember, Jeff, I was I was sitting in the Ford dealership one day waiting for new tires to get put on my car. I mean, is is that like a really awesome place to write or what? And uh, and I was kind of going through, and it, and it was a little spot where Alice had put an asterisk in the manuscript, and, and she said, I want more here. And I'm like, okay, I want more here. She wants more here, and I want tires on my car. And okay, here we go. And uh, and I and I had just made you know the, another violation of this character's space. Um, and he he said something where where he really comes to realize just how vulnerable his position is as a father that you know these children were just traipsing around the world and and really anybody could have snatched them at any time and he and he says something along the lines of you know I I, I came to realize that the social contract is written not in stone but in sand and it can be blown away at any time by anyone with with sufficient breath in his lungs and I was like. One, wow, wow. That's, a, that's a good line, right? <laughs> and yeah, that's two, pretty powerful. It, yeah, it really came out of just that little asterisk, just that, you know, and that's what I think a great agent does is like lo- those little spots. And that, you know, that's a, that was two sentences within the novel, right? But I, I really come to appreciate how it is those two sentences here or there that can really lift a novel and that can really make it into something more than just another mystery story. Um, and that's really what what Alice kind of helped take me to. That's great. Yeah, she's an awesome agent. What can I tell you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Brad, we have enjoyed, well, Jeff enjoyed it more than I did because I was gone for five minutes. But we have thoroughly enjoyed you being on the show. It's been a fascinating conversation uh, to be able to talk about your latest book, Say nothing, and of course, if you're listening to the show live, everybody, the book will come out March the 7th. If you listen to it after March the 7th, then the book is out, so go get it. But you can pre-order it now on Amazon, however you listen to books, or however you read books. It's available. It's going to be in those formats. And um, don't forget to go bradparksbooks.com for more information, not just on this, but all the books in the Carter Ross Mystery Series, not to mention everything else that Brad has going on. So, Brad, thank you so much for joining us, man. It has been awesome to speak with you. Wish you nothing yeah, but John, the best, Jeff, my friend. Seriously, thanks, guys. It, 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 was, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you, and, and uh, uh, good luck with the book. Everybody should read it. All right, thanks, Jeff. Absolutely. And I think, right. Brad, you're going to be on my show Saturday morning. We'll have a little bit more in-depth conversation with it uh, the end of March. So that will be good, too. All right, good. Just Assuming his phone stays. Time, okay? <laughs> I said, just don't hang up on me this time, okay? Exactly. I'm sorry, what did you say? I'm so, I can't hear anybody. Oh my God! It's happened again. No, I'm just joking. Okay. <laughs> All right, Brad. You have a good one, my friend. We will talk with you soon. All right. Thanks, John. Take All care. Right, bye bye. So again, everybody, that is author Brad Parks, and the book is Say Nothing. So make sure you visit BradParksBooks.com for more information. Book comes out March the seventh. Um, so how you been, Jeff? You been doing good? Yeah, I've been doing great. Sorry you uh, dropped out there, but uh, I know. yeah, we we had a good conversation. Sorry you missed it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'll have to listen to it on demand. Uh, but we are going to kind of wrap the show because we have to do some things uh, right after. So, but there is one thing I do want to say real quick is I saw the Lego Batman movie, and like I told you off the air, all superhero movies should not be Lego movies. So that's what I'm going to tell everybody. If you haven't seen Lego Batman, 
You don't even have to like Batman to like the movie. Put it that way. You don't even have to like it. It's just funny. It's a freaking hilarious movie, without a doubt. I don't know how they do it, but they, they do an amazing job. They really do. They do. They do. They do. So we will be back uh, next week with Alan Jacobson will be on the show. Uh, we are also are going to be booking um, Alex, Bern, uh, Alex Bernson. I believe that's how you pronounce it, Bernson. Uh, John Wells, of course, he uh, does the John Wells books. So we're going to make sure we get him around the show. Uh, emailed him today. He said, yeah, we'd love to do it. So we'll work that one out. And other than that, you guys just keep checking Suspense Magazine. Again, the issue is out today. Uh, so if you don't get it, email me, and I'll make sure you get it. And, of course, visit the website and check all the other back issues and everything else. So, Jeff, it's always a pleasure, my man. Wish you nothing but the best. Same at you. Thanks so much. And like we like to say, make sure you keep reading. See you guys next time. Bye-bye. Take care.